Welcome to the Leap Health in the Workplace podcast. Leap Health empowers individuals and organizations to improve both their physical and mental health. In this podcast, we explore innovative, bespoke, proven health solutions that will improve both your personal and professional productivity and happiness. I'm Anna Reddy. Let's get ready to make small steps to Leap Health. Welcome to the podcast today and today is titled is milk good or bad and how can I support my bone health and I think this is a big question a lot of people get confused about is milk actually good or is it bad because there's conflicting messages from both sides so this is what we're going to explore today and how you can actually support your bone health so let's start off who actually remembers the advert with two young boys with one of them drinking milk and exclaiming that He'll be able to play for Accrington Stanley one day to his friend. And his friend replies, Accrington Stanley, who are they? Well, for those of you that can remember that, and I have to confess, confess that I'm old enough to remember that classic advert. Um, and also, I do also have the pleasure of living close to this famous football team, as you can probably guess from my broad Lancashire accent. But this advert was actually brought out in 1989. So that's just to make some of you feel quite old. But actually, the question that we're going to explore, as I said, is will milk hinder or help your bone health? And is it a key component to a healthy diet? Do we really, really need it? Um, So now we're just going to explore some important considerations that should provide a balanced approach as to whether you make that individual decision to include it in your diet or not to include it in your diet. So just to learn a little bit more, what exactly is the role of calcium? Well, calcium is needed to strengthen our bones and our teeth, and it's involved in regulating muscle contractions, including the heart, and it also helps our bone to clot as well. Now, there's two key players in terms of bone formation and bone loss, and this is osteoblasts and osteoclasts. And osteoblasts are found in the bone marrow, and they're really important for bone formation. So I always remember osteoblasts with a B, for being B for building. So remember, the osteoblasts are the builders. And the osteoclasts degrade bone and mediate bone loss. So up until about our mid-20s, early 30s, the osteoblast activity is greater than the osteoblast. So imagine it in, a, in terms of scales, and the osteoblasts are working harder than the osteoclasts. So you know, they're, they're up there with the scales. Um, but slowly after the age, you know, of your late 20s, early 30s, this balance switches, meaning that the osteoclasts have greater activity. And then this means a slow bone loss over time. And if we don't have enough calcium in our blood, then we have to have this pulled from our bones, which means thinning of the bones and a higher risk ultimately of osteoporosis. And osteoporosis, unfortunately, when it is diagnosed, is not reversible. The stage before osteoporosis is osteopenia, and this can be reversed through lifestyle interventions in terms of what you eat and how you move and other other things as well. Um, I myself was diagnosed with osteopenia quite a few number of years ago in a couple of places in my body. Unfortunately, I have been able to reverse this through lifestyle interventions. So it is not all doom and gloom. If you do get diagnosed with osteopenia, you can make lifestyle interventions. And in terms of osteoporosis, it is not all doom and gloom either because there is a lot that you can do to slow down that that thinning of your bones. There's lots of things that you can do. So 
so long as we can remember really when we thought about calcium milk is the one thing that comes to mind isn't it as the main source um and it is a really really good source so to, just for example a 200 milliliter glass provides with about a third of your daily recommendation recommended amount of calcium that you need but we should be aware that there's other sources as well as dairy products that do contain calcium as well, such as your leafy greens, sardine, or other fish that you eat the bones as well. And the recommended daily amount uh, for most people, so age 19 and over, is 700 milligrams a day. And But there is exception to this. So there's other cohorts of people that might want to have a higher intake. And this includes particular younger children, teenagers, women's going through the menopause um, and the most important thing to remember with this menopause is that it's not just when you go through it at age the average age 51 it's that perimenopause as well when your estrogen levels are dropping which can actually go on for 15 years usually about eight to ten years before you go through the men actual menopause but during this perimenopause it is critical that we really really protect our bones and do as much as we can to help ourselves women during this period um, and also those that are breastfeeding as well might need a higher dose of calcium so we're just going to think about a few different elements to this story as to how you can get a better understanding as to is milk the answer for you so we're going to have a think about the role of phosphorus and phosphorus and calcium kind of go together a bit like fish and chips go hand in hand phosphorus works closer with calcium to build strong bones and teeth and these two minerals combine together to form calcium phosphate and then there's vitamin d vitamin d sometimes gets overlooked as well when we're thinking about our bones we often think about calcium but vitamin d and calcium go hand in hand together as well and vitamin D, vitamin D plays a role of absorbing the calcium into a usable form. So we need that vitamin D to make sure that the calcium can be used within our body. Um, and often this is overlooked. And we, as I said, we just focus on the calcium in isolation. Now, during the months of March, March, September, we can usually get enough vitamin D from sunlight. But the NHS do recommend that between September and March, you know, darker ones that you may be consider supplementing with a 10 microgram dose of vitamin D. Now, different people will absorb different amounts of sunlight. So it can often depend upon your skin and your age. So those people maybe with darker skin would need a lot longer in the sun than those with lighter skin. So on average, it's about 20 to 30 minutes a day. But as I said, depending upon your skin, you might need longer or less in the sun. Now, what food sources can you get vitamin D from? Well, these include oily fish, such as salmon, sardines, mackerel, and egg yolks are a really good source of vitamin D. Fortified foods as well um, are also a good source, and shiitake mushrooms. Now, going back to the fortified foods, often we think of some of those as a bit of junk food, really. But if you look at your breakfast cereals, a lot of those are fortified. So, so long as you're going for the ones that may be whole grain based and no added sugar um, or, or very, very small amounts of sugar, it is a good option, particularly for children, to get those fortified vitamins in there. It's also important to note, though, that milk does not routinely in the UK have vitamin D added into it. In many other areas of the world, it is automatically added in 
to the milk, but it is not automatically added in to milk in the UK. So that is just something to be aware of that um, you're not necessarily getting your vitamin D allowance from your milk. So we alluded to children and teenagers just then as being an area that maybe need to have a high dose of calcium. Um, and the NHS recommend, actually recommends that we don't increase calcium recommendations in children. However, the Osteoporosis Foundation recommends that those aged between 9 and 18 should get around 1,300 milligrams a day because it's such a critical time for bone formation. And if you fail to nourish kids adequately at this time, it can cause long-term complications. So the advert that we mentioned to we mentioned earlier on around Accrington Stanley, who were there, could have actually had a real positive impact on the bone formation of many youngsters in that era. Um, and I do actually wonder whether they have a study to show it. I'd be very interested to, to see that. But an area that I think we should be paying more attention to, and we don't always do that, is fueling children for their exercise and their activity levels, because often their movement isn't always seen as like a hardcore gym session or a workout. But they're moving constantly. And if we went in the gym and trained or we went out for a run or did a weight session, we would be considering our post-workout fuel. We'd be making sure that we were getting enough protein on board. We'd be refueling with different vitamins and minerals. And often it's easy to miss this with kids because they're moving constantly and we're not always exactly aware of how much they're actually burning um, and how much impact that's having on the body. So this is something that you might want to be a little bit more um, mindful of and pay a little bit more attention to in terms of refueling children, but also really making sure they gain enough calcium during that critical stage for bone formation. The next group of people that I want to mention is those going through menopause, which I mentioned um, briefly earlier on. Um, and this is during the perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause when estrogen levels are, dro are dropping. And these estrogen levels fluctuate all the time. Um, so one day might be lower than, than another, particularly during, during the perimenopause. And estrogen supports bone health by helping intestinal absorption of calcium. So having low estrogen levels negatively impacts your body's efficiency to make use of the calcium that you consume. So this is part of the reason why women are at higher risk of osteoporosis. Um, so it's really key to understand those symptoms when they start with perimenopause. And this is why I'm doing a lot, lot, of, lot of work at the moment in the workplace and with women around and recognising those perimenopausal symptoms that you might attribute to lots of other things. There's actually 34, probably even more, symptoms of perimenopause that people could probably attribute to other things. And if they're not corrected, that is having an impact on your bone health because in the background, your hormone levels are dropping, estrogen levels are dropping, which could be impacting on your future risk of osteoporosis. So I really, really would encourage you to be a little bit more wise and a bit more aware of what those perimenopausal symptoms are and recognize when you are going through that stage, which as I said, could be up to 15 years before you actually go through the menopause, on average eight to 10 years. So some of those symptoms, the familiar ones of sweating and um, feeling down, feeling a little bit anxious, 
But in addition to those, there's loads of other ones, such as feeling really, really cold, maybe, uh, tinnitus, which is like ringing in your ears, skin conditions, uh, migraines, fatigue, the list goes on and on. So just beware of those symptoms and see if it could be a possible cause of perimenopause. And if it is, then action it to protect your bones for your long term and also cardiovascular health as well for long term. And if you do want to know more about small nutrition during pre, post and menopause, please get in touch because I do have specific workshops um, to, to address these. And again, my contact details is anna at leaphealth.co.uk. Now, the next thing I want to touch on is lactose. And you'll have heard the phrase before, I'm sure, from people saying that they're lactose intolerant. But do you actually fully understand what it means or do you just assume it's somebody that can't drink dairy milk so well here is the science simple so just look at this in a simple way so milk contains the enzyme lactose and to break this down your body needs an enzyme called lactase which is found in your small intestine and produced by the intestinal intestinal epithelial cells which have finger-like projections called microvilli that absorb nutrients from the food so that they enter into the bloodstream. Now, that sounds really, really complicated, but it is not complicated at all. It's just like a tube that has lots of little um, finger projections inside, which in simple terms just increases the surface area so that you can absorb more. But if this isn't present in the small intestine, then the lactose passes straight through into the large intestine. And this is when it causes problems because it interacts with the bacteria and it produces fatty acids and gases like carbon dioxide, hydrogen and methane, which can be the cause of symptoms such as bloating, stomach cramps and bad wind. So that is the reason that people might be lactose intolerant because of that lack of lactase. Now, after about the age of two, when breastfeeding and bottle feeding stops and little ones are having less milk, the levels of lactase deplete because they need less, less lactase then. And in people with primary lactase deficiency, they would inherit the, the, the genes. However, in secondary lactase deficiency, it could be due to a number of things that have gone on in their life, such as gastroenteritis, such as Crohn's disease, such as celiac disease, such as ulcerative colitis, chemotherapy, and high dose of antibiotics, which can change that gut bacteria that we just said the lactase interacts with. So a really simple way that I explain the gut bacteria to to my kids is that I just use a story of our gut contains good soldiers and bad soldiers and then we'll talk about what the goal, what what can help the good soldiers to fight off the bad soldiers so you know all things that are good for your gut health really including like live, live bacteria and yogurts kefir um lots of fiber and those are the things that can really support those good soldiers but when we take antibiotics, when we're ill, they aid in our recovery because they kill off the bad soldiers. But during that process, they also wipe out the good soldiers as well, which then leaves us more in a vulnerable position to defend ourselves in the future. So although the bad soldiers are getting, uh, although the antibiotics 
getting rid of the bad soldiers, they're also getting rid of, of the good soldiers as well. So that's just a really simple way that you might want to use to explain to kids so I'm able to understand yourself. Um, but yeah, gut bacteria is pretty trendy at the moment. Lots of people talking about it. There's lots of links in terms of your gut and your brain. Um, and yeah, it's a con control centre of a lot of things. So another thing that I wanted to mention was vegan milk. So with the number of people becoming vegan rapidly increasing, the sales of plant milk alternatives is certainly on the rise. And I wish I was a vegan plant-based milk producer because the profit margins must be massive. If you look at the ingredients, I looked at one of a very well-known make, the main ingredient is water. And if you look at the almond milk, there's 2.3% of almonds in there. And the oat milk contains 8.7% of oats. So think about the cost to put a few oats together and a bit of water and think of the profit margin on it. So that, that's why I wish I was a plant-based milk manufacturer. However, they do also contain vitamins and minerals that are added as well. But this is not in every single brand. So you need to be aware of what's actually in there and if they've got the vitamins and minerals added in there. And just don't assume that you're getting the equivalent, equivalent nutrients as you would in a bog standard dairy milk. But it is a really, really good option if you're intolerant to dairy milk or if you're vegan or if you actually prefer the taste. Because just remember, whatever you're taking on board, you've got to enjoy and it's got to be sustainable. So if you prefer this option, then that's probably the best option for you. So exercise can really improve our bone health um, and it's one of the best Best ways to protect our bones is simply just moving. Resistance and impact training, such as weightlifting, body weight exercise, or running and jumping, hiking, and everything, supports your bone formation by stimulating the activities of those osteoblasts um, and reducing the ones of the osteoclasts. So if the osteoblasts are working harder, then that's that's positive. So this in turn, this then in turn would reduce your risk of osteoporosis. And also by maintaining muscle mass through resistance training, you support the bones because the muscles are covering the bones. So you're supporting the bones. And ultimately, long term, this is, this is enhancing your ability to move as you age. So it might actually be really enhancing the bigger picture of your independence for a long time. So we've covered lots of different elements there to answer the question, is, is milk the answer for you? And is it key for our bones? But I'm just going to summarise now with some key take-home messages. So first of all, milk is great and it might help you get to Accrington Stanley, but it's not the only way. And there's a lot of other things to consider as well. The second point is, do not just jump on the bandwagon of avoiding it because it might seem the trendy thing to do at the moment. Because there has been loads and loads of nutrition trends over the years. And it's not always just that one size fits all. The next point is that if you have a medical condition, I really would encourage you to seek the advice of your healthcare profession and get professional and get their opinion on this. The next point that I really, really did home in on was that between the age of nine and 18, it is critical for bone formation. So I really, really support the intake of calcium, vitamin D and phosphorus in this group, really priorities and be a little bit more aware of their activity levels and when they need to take on those vitamins and minerals to support them. Menopause is a massive issue. 
Um, it's been hush-hush for so long. No one's really spoken about it, but awareness is increasing. And the key is to recognise our symptoms in perimenopause so that you can act upon them to prevent long-term compl complications such as osteoporosis, but also cardiovascular disease as well. The next one is to try focusing on adding nutrients in your diet. Um, and just and focus on what your personal body needs instead of looking at what everybody else needs. Look at the nutrients that you individually need and what your body can tolerate and what your body can't tolerate. And there is also other food sources that contain the nutrients we need. So it's not just milk that contains the nutrients. We can also get calcium, phosphorus and vitamin D from other food sources. But the most important thing is that we need a varied diet which contains lots of different nutrients and one that you enjoy so i hope that was useful if you've got any questions please don't hesitate to get in touch it's anna at leaphealth.co.uk if you would like a workplace health workshop in your workplace or you would like a separate one run in an evening for a group of people please don't hesitate to get it in touch again it's anna at leaphealth.co.uk thank you so before you stop listening, I want you to think about how you can make health contagious. Did anything resonate in the podcast? What did you learn that was new? Did you hear something that you thought someone else would love to hear? If so, please share this podcast. Please leave me a review or please get in touch at anna at leaphealth.co.uk to learn more about how you can improve physical and mental health of individuals and those in the workplace so that everybody can feel happier and healthier and more productive. Thank you.